Hello and welcome to the Wingnet Travel Podcast with me, James Hammond. Personally, I have been to 50 countries. I've met so many people in my travels that I want to bring them on this podcast and get their story on record. I have plenty of tips and stories to share with you as well. Are you a backpacker or a traveller or gap year student or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you. Throughout the weeks and months, you'll get many guests and solo episodes where I try to cover all range of subjects within travel. This is a casual and informative travel podcast to inspire you to travel in the future. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks for listening and supporting this. And I'll see you soon. Cheers, James. Hello and welcome to episode 66, Travelling with Lex Lakovsky. This week we talk about an array of countries such as Western Europe, India and especially the Ladakh region and Sikkim as well. We talk about there and we also dip into USA, Laos and the Stans. So Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan. So we talk about those in good detail and there's some great tips in this episode. And you're going to love his stories, and especially the ones from Mongolia. We also talk about Mongolia. That's a at the start of the episode. That's a pretty interesting story. He nearly died three times there. Yeah, so you're going to love that. Uh, thanks to Johnny Bilbo who came on last week to talk about all his adventures in the '90s and also his books and his Wild Frontiers tour group. That was a brilliant episode, and I had some really good responses to that and some positive reactions. That's brilliant. And also, I'm recording from Canmore this weekend, which is in the Canadian Rockies, and it's probably one of the best places I've ever been to straight up the setting is unbelievable so check out my Instagram we're in a child podcast and you'll see some photos I put up this weekend it really is spectacular snow-capped mountains and we drove along the Icefield Highway which goes from here to goes to Jasper but we stopped off to go and see some glaciers and some views and it really was spectacular so I will leave it there thanks for tuning in I appreciate your support as always and I'll catch you next week cheers bye Let's get into the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Winging It Travel podcast. And today I'm joined by Lex Latkovsky. Lex is an avid traveller, having travelled to 83 countries, six continents, and all 50 US states. Lex has written a book called Passport Forward, appeared on America's Got Talent, lived as a Zen monk for 16 months, and lives in the Colorado Rockies. We've got a lot to discuss today. So Lex, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Very good, James. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. I'm... uh... I'm looking at myself in the camera. I look like that guy Rick Moranis from Ghostbusters almost right now. <laughs> I just I just got out of the shower, my hair's wet, and I've got these glasses on. So wow, <laughs> nice background. Where's that background, by the way? It's in um, it's on the Mekong in uh, Laos, I believe. Oh, it's, it's Laos. I it's, thought uh, someone did it. Vang Bien, whatever river goes through Vang Bien, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Laos. It's a it's a cool place. Yeah, this is the Vang Bien when I was there back uh, twelve years ago, and. That's back when it was a crazy time where drugs and alcohol were going crazy and people, um, Westerners were getting killed left and right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not getting killed. They were dying of either alcohol or accidents. And then uh, my my girlfriend and I went back there a few years ago and they completely quieted it down. So it's just a chill place now. So that's, you know, it, it was fun while it lasted, but I guess, you know, everything has its time. Yeah, I went in 2013 and it just, I think then they actually closed it. And it was the, yeah. that reason you said, and it's real chilled there now. And I think yeah. I had some friends before who went at the same time as you, and they, yeah, doing the tubing down the river. And people food, are people uh, were literally swinging off of these bars that were built on the hill, and they were drunk because they were giving everybody punch. And it was back then hallucinogens and and weed were legal, so people were just absolutely out of their skull. And they're they're swinging on these monkey swings into the river, landing on people that are tubing, and you know people are just 
trying to hold on and they're slipping off and landing on rocks and stuff. It, it was, it, it, there's no way it was safe. So, and is it right at the end, if you don't like stop before the river kind of carries on, that's it. Does it go like down to waterfall? Is that right? Or it goes? Yeah. The waterfall is actually below south of here. Uh, yeah. Or downstream from where this is. So you'd have quite a way to go to get out, but yeah, okay. I don't think it's, I don't think it got really bad anytime soon. Okay. Yeah, that's a shame. I think a lot of listeners probably have done what you've done, uh, achieving, but yeah, yeah. The, the modern listener uh, have kind of missed out on that, unfortunately. Or fortunately, yeah. whatever way. <laughs> that ship has sailed. Yeah. Um, please tell us, Lex, where you are. Where, where, where are you based? And, well, I said Colorado Rockies, so why are you living there? What's the go? Yeah, thanks. So um, originally I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, which is, for those of you that aren't familiar too much with America, it's about five hours south of Chicago. Uh, just north of Nashville, Tennessee. That's Louisville, Kentucky. That's where I'm from. But then um, my fiance and I moved out here a year ago to Colorado uh, Springs. Arizona is the state below us and uh, the state above us, but I think it's uh, Wyoming. Yeah. And the state to the east of us is Kansas and the state to the west of us is Utah and uh, one other one I can't think of. But we're if we drive to San Francisco, it would take 16 hours. If we drive, you know, to Phoenix, it would take 10 hours. So we're kind of in that neck of the woods. So Colorado, I always thought it was West, but it's not, you know, that crazy West. So there's a lot between us and the coast. So it's basically middle, middle America. Yeah, it's, it's middle America. And, yeah. but it's because of the Rockies, it's the tallest mountains in the continental US. So, which is good for me because I love mountains. Yeah. Yeah. We're not too far from mountains and Rockies. We're going there in a couple of weeks. My sister's coming over. So we're going to go to the, Canadian Rockies, which is like near sort of like uh, Banff and Calgary. Right, yeah, I heard Banff is just absolutely amazing. I've never been there. Oh, you'd love it, I think, if you love your mountains. That sort of classic mountain town, right? Awesome. Yeah, it's on my list. Yeah, your ever-growing list, I'd imagine, because you've been to 83 <laughs> countries. But before we get to your travels, so I said in my intro, America's Got Talent. So how did you end up on there and what was your talent? And how far did you get? Uh, well, I'll, I'll do it backwards. We got to the top 20. Uh, this was back when, I don't know if you ever watched the show, but there was a, the host was Jerry Springer and the three judges oh. were Pierce Morgan, uh, Sharon Osborne, Ozzy's wife and, uh, yeah. the Hoff, David Hasselhoff. Wow. So that was the time. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to be on the show because my, my brothers have a entertainment company called the superstars and they are professional entertainers for mostly for sporting events. And so they got on and they needed some extra people to help out. So I joined in, I was on the last three shows, which were fun in Hollywood. So we met, I was on the last three shows. I was there when we got kicked off. The The special talent was they've got, my brothers have these inflatable costumes that you get inside, zip up and turn on your blower and they inflate around you. And they're, they're about nine foot tall and you're, you're larger than life. So we had these goofy choreographed routines and we would fall down and, you know, do all kinds of crazy antics. And so, you know, we made it, we made it pretty far, but they, uh, the reason we didn't make it all the way, this is my opinion, was because <laughs> the contract was like this thick and they would basically own you forever if you uh, got to a certain point. And what wow. happens is, so anybody that wins America's Got Talent, yeah, um, they basically, the royalties and the income for a certain amount of time go directly to America's Got Talent. They become your agent. Oh, wow. So. So, but they, they, and my brothers were like, there's no way we're going to let you do that. So, you know, we, we made it far enough. We were, we had a lot of fun, but you know what? I can't say I'm that talented, but 
I, I happen to be in a costume with some guys that had already made it that far. So, yeah. <laughs> but you know, Hey, I was on stage three times in Hollywood on America's got talent. And, and if you watch the videos from that episode, I can tell you which character I was in. So, <laughs> okay. But we met uh, the Hoff, the Hoff came back in the dressing room one day and hung out and talked to me and my brothers. And we actually got photos with uh, the Hoff standing there. So he, um, he was wearing an Arizona sweatshirt of all things. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. I can't, I can't say much about Pierce or Sharon cause I never met him, but the, the whole thing, you know, was, was fun, but it was, you know, the, it was, it, they pretty much know who they're going to let happen, who, who's going to advance even before the show starts. So it's kind of yeah, rigged. Yeah. It's kind of like X factor, right? They kind of know who they're. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of tens so already are. Marketability and promotability. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I hope I don't get sued. <laughs> no, I'm sure you won't. I don't think they listen to this podcast. Not yet. Anyway. We'll no, see. it'd be. I mean, 2000 and God, when was it? 2010. So it's 12. It's ancient history. The yeah, statute yeah. of limitations run out. So screw them. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Love that. Okay, let's do some real good stuff. Traveling. So 83 countries, 50 states, six continents. Before we delve into some areas that you've been to, where where did you start the journey, and when? Like, what what inspired you to travel? Do you think? Uh, well, my family's a travel uh, family, so. My father, when we were in sixth grade, my father, and my mother, we loaded up the VW bus and drove from Louisville um, up through Mount Rushmore, North Dakota or South Dakota, and then across to Yellowstone and Yosemite into San Francisco, down to L.A., down into Tijuana, then back to the Grand Canyon in Arizona and went to Graceland in Tennessee and then went home. So that was a, a wow. month in the, in the bus. So that was kind of fun. And then um, I spent two semesters at the University of Madrid when I was in at uh, Vanderbilt University, my college, and absolutely loved my time in Spain. And after uh, every weekend when we had a, a free moment, uh, we made a free moment, we, we would get on a bus or a train and leave Madrid and go to Barcelona or Lisbon, Portugal, or we went, we actually went down to Morocco on a quick weekend. And then, um, then after each semester, we would just go and travel. So one semester I'd, I got a URL pass with uh three other buddies and we blew up yeah western europe and then came back around and went down to greece and then excuse me back to spain so that was but you know by the time i graduated from college i think i had been to like 20 countries already which was wow. pretty crazy so that's mental yeah do you find yeah. it amazing that in europe you can just hop on the train maybe two hours later be in a different country different language is that quite a like an amazing thought yeah yeah america's huge i mean i think you can put a couple of europe's in america yeah. And um, we don't have, you know, we don't have passports or, or you don't know, there's no border check. So back when I was doing this and uh, 19 spring of 89 and the fall of 90. So the spring break of 1989, you know, every um, border, this was before Schengen, I believe. And every border had a, you know, you had to get your stamp. So my stamp, my passport was pretty cool by the time I graduated from college. But now, you know, if I do it, it's a little more boring, you know, because they don't check your passport. So I think the stamp is dying out, isn't it? Surely. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's not gonna be a thing in 10 years time, I don't think. Yeah. Um, or very limited anyway, uh, which is a shame. But luckily, we've done travel in the past where we needed it. So we've got those stamps yeah. to prove it. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, Spain, Western Europe, that must have been at that age, pretty awesome just to go around different cultures, different countries, different languages, foods. Like what was the, what was the highlights of that? Do you think? I will say that the thing I was at the I was a math math major at Vanderbilt, uh, my university, and I was also very good at Spanish because I in high school, 
um, I had studied math and Spanish as well as other stuff. And so I was going to focus on math and Spanish in college. And so in one of my Spanish classes one day, this this uh, student came in. He had just been back from the University of Madrid, the Vanderbilt in Spain program. And he was talking about it. And I'm like, holy smokes, that's awesome. So every week you're going to go to the Museo del Prado and, and learn about the works of art from Goya and Velazquez or whatever. And then afterwards, you're going to go and eat. Uh, drink wine and eat cheese and bread in the in the park, you know, the um, uh, Retiro or whatever, and you're going to do this and that. And you, you can drink beer because it's 21 is not the limit over yeah. there. And I'm like, oh, this place sounds fun. So <laughs> because of that guy, I went and then, you know, it was just, you know, I got, I was 18 or 19 and I was free, completely free. And I was in a completely different environment I'd never been in before. So every day was just an adventure. So, you know, I'm a big I'm a big fan of adventure and getting out of the routine. So yeah, all the, all the, you know, just walking out of our door in Madrid with the family I was living in was every day was just a new adventure, new call, new coffee shops, new bars, new discos, new, you know, new foods. So it was great. And also it's at the time where there's no smartphones, right? So right. it really is an adventure. You, do, you can't just research Madrid's best local tapas, right? You, you've got to go yeah. and find it. And that's, you know, it's like, Golly, I'd forgotten about that. But like when we when we all met out, you know, because we there were 20 of us from Vanderbilt and Madrid at the time. So we would all meet up on the weekends or we would go meet up at night to go get a beer. We would have to figure out where we were going to go in class and say, hey, tonight meet at 730 at uh, Linea Uno or something and uh, we'll go get dinner. And so, you know, we didn't say like, hey, I'm running late or yeah, yeah. You know, sorry, I'm, I'm on my way. It was like, yeah, it was crazy. And, but we made it. We, we, we did everything back then just by winging it as you know, <laughs> as your podcast says. So I think, do you know what? I'm, I'm at the tail end of that um, type of travel. Cause I really started in 2012 and smartphones were a thing, but not really as big as they are now. So right. I was, I was that traveler where go to one hostel we speak to a few people in the hostel oh you gotta go there okay we'll go to Lao. right and yeah checking on facebook on the computer in the hostel and do a status update and then off you go right no phone right no camera even didn't have a camera like it's mental and yeah i'm glad i had that experience because i even now when we travel now it's so easy and it just get the phone out and go oh we'll go there right it's so easy isn't it and i, I wonder right. if travels change because of that yeah it's i think that was part of the fun was i remember on one of my trips you know, it was it, back then it was like, I think I had an iPad, I had just gotten an iPad and I, it didn't have the data plan and it required Wi-Fi. So everybody that was traveling, and this was when I was in Kyrgyzstan, would go to a coffee shop that had Wi-Fi. And then of course the Wi-Fi is slow because everybody's trying to look at yeah. stuff, and post this and post that. But I like it better when, when I don't have all those things at my fingertips and I can just walk down the street and say, oh, this place looks interesting or, or bump into you. And I'm and you're like, hey, I'm James. And I'm like, I say, hey, I'm Lex. And like, what are you doing? Well, I'm gonna go up that hill and go up to that village. And you're like, oh, I was already there. It sucks. Tomorrow <laughs> I'm gonna go to that village over here because my friend yesterday told me it's really fun. And I'm like, all right, cool. Can I go with you? Bam, let's go. So that's how the that's how some of my best travel memories happened was, you know, just meeting people, you know, at the at the hotel or the hostel or the bar and saying, Hey, where are you from? I'm from Bristol, England. I'm from Kentucky. You know, what are you doing here? Where have you been? And next thing I know, I'm hanging out with you for a week. Mm. And it's like, you would never do that back home. It's not like you meet somebody at 7-Eleven and say, hey, yeah. I'm from Kentucky. Let's go hang out for five days. You know, they would <laughs> say, they, you'd get out the pepper spray and say, hey, get away from me, weirdo. 
<laughs> yeah, there's a certain charm about that because we had the same thing. Like we arrived in Bangkok. This is like 2013 January, and we met probably 10 people there in the hostel, and we probably travelled around with some of them for a few, maybe a few weeks, a few days. Met up again on the on the trail in Southeast Asia, and it is that our way from let's do this. Oh no, I'm going here. But now you can just put a post on Facebook and say, hey, I'm traveling in this state, this state, and in this area, who's up for meeting? Which is fine, but right. it's, not, it's not quite authentic, is it? It's not, it's not the same buzz of going to a hostel and getting to know Lex and over right. a beer and what right. he likes. Yeah, and it's and, funny because the people that I tra- that learned to travel with, I don't know, you're probably a pretty good judge of character, but I was like immediately, I could tell just by the way someone treated other people, the way that they came across, how easy and simple they were, whether I would be able to travel with them or not. And I I was very lucky. I met very few morons or jerks mm. or nasty people in my travels because I guess I didn't attract those people. And uh, some of the best travels that I had, you know, were 30 days traveling through Burma with a couple that I met uh, on the airplane. Uh, and, awesome. uh, you know, it's like next thing we know, it was a a couple from Spain, from Madrid of all places, and a guy from uh, Chile, from Chile. And the four of us traveled through Burma nonstop for a month. We didn't part ways. We, we, we just had a blast. So, you know, the, the couple from Madrid, Jorge and Alicia, they had their own room. And then the guy, Manuel, had his own room, and I had my own room. And we would go do stuff all day long and all night. And then we'd go to the next village, take a train, do this. And it's like, how does that happen? It's just... You know, you, you meet the right people when you need to re- meet the right people. Yeah, like even you saying that is giving me like a little bit of chills. I've got chills in my arms. <laughs> <laughs> because it's the it's, it truly is for me the best way to travel. Like it, it, it can't get better than that. Where right. you've just got a random group of people, you're going to um, a location where you all want to go to and you're all traveling together for a month, don't know each other, you'll get to know each other and have that like experience that you will never ever get again. And traveling's weird because sometimes you don't see these people again, right? Right. Um, it's quite an interesting dynamic where you spend this like real good period of a month and you have all these experiences and then you sort of filter back into real life after all that and don't really see them unless you live in the same sort of area. Back at yeah. Home. And it's what's weird is I'd, I've never been depressed. I don't get sad. And when I come home from a trip and I get back into the quote unquote routine and mm. the familiar, it sucks because it's like, hey, you know that like. Where's where's the adventure today? I've got to go make my own adventure, which is fine. I'm good at that. But you know the you know like this place in my background, Laos, you know, or Vang Vien. It's like there's always something to go do that's new. And if I get tired, I just go to the next village and find something new. But mm. um, and actually, I was going to tell you this interesting story. I met a dude in Laos. His name was Segev Navon. He was from Israel, still is. And he and I bumped bumped into each other somewhere in Laos. I can't even remember where. And we started hanging out and talking and we started traveling together. And he said, this was probably in March of that one year. And he said, Hey, let's, uh, let's meet up and ride horses in Mongolia. I want to go up and see the reindeer people up near the Russian border. And I said, when's that? And he's like, August. And I'm like, dude, I said, I don't even know where I'm going to be next week, much less (laughs) five months from now. He's like, well, (laughs) let me know. And I'm like, okay, cool. So when we parted ways a couple months, a month later, I'm like, okay, I'll meet you in, uh, in uh, Ulaanbaatar. On August 1st, I said, let's make that date. And we ended up staying at the hotel, same hotel, went out to dinner and had a few beers and hatched our big plan. But he ended up, I ended up traveling with him through Mongolia for the whole month. And we had a blast. And it's like, you know, I just met this guy and we hit it off. And I haven't seen him since. But, you know, if you, 
we're still friends. If he came by and visited, you know, he'd stay with me. Or if I went to Israel, I'd yeah, stay yeah. with him. It's like, yeah. you can't put a price tag on those kind of friendships. So. And he's telling that same story to his friends, right? And his people yeah, hopefully, in Israel. Hopefully. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. in, my, in my book, and I think we're going to touch on this here in a little yeah. bit in the podcast, it's, I had, I've never thought I was going to die, except when I was boogie boarding in Hawaii and almost got uh, trashed in the waves. And uh, one other time when I was hiking. But three times in Mongolia, I thought I might not wake up tomorrow because somebody's going to kill me. And that was, which is bad. You know, it's like, hey, when, when you don't think you're going to make it through the day because someone's going to hurt you. It's, I've never, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it's not a good feeling, much less three times in one, one trip. And it all happened in Mongolia. So can I, well, as with that, kind of ask you about those three times in Mongolia? What was the scenario? Yeah, sure. It was we were, Segev and I were riding horses through Mongolia. We had a, a horseman, Bata, B-A-T-A. Uh, Bata's like Bob, you know, it's like, so I can say his name without anybody saying, oh, Bata, yeah, he's crazy. But Bata was crazy and he threatened to kill me. He got drunk on vodka one night. We pulled into this town in the middle of nowhere called Rinchenkolm or something. We loaded up, uh, this is like day five of the trip. Mm. Bata had already gotten, we had already gotten sideways with Bata before and he got this big bottle of vodka and Segev and I got this little small bottle of vodka and we were just having a, a drink and he got drunk and came into the area we were sleeping and he was plastered and he told me he was going to kill me he did the old you know the, the slice your throat thing mm -hmm. and we're in the middle of nowhere and you know so that happened and so good, the good news was he didn't he didn't kill me <laughs> yeah. um, but I woke up the next day and it and we're in the middle we're six hours walking to the nearest town and he told me, he, he told me in Segev, he's like, I'm going to leave your stuff here. I'm going home. And I convinced him, I paid him extra to take us back to the previous town. And he did. And then we parted ways, but um, that he, he was, he was bad. He was scary. And then um, one night we were up with a different horseman. We found a replacement horseman and he woke us up in the middle of the night and it was freezing cold. It was snowing. He woke us up and he's like, he called me Lexi. He's like, or, uh, yeah, Lexi. He's like, Lexi, Lexi, wake up. And I said, what? And he's like, uh, light, light. And so I grabbed my flashlight and I handed it to him. He's like, no, 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 turn off, turn off. He, he spoke very poor English. And I said, mm -hmm. what? He's like, come, come. And he looks up on the mountain coming towards us. So these, these lights coming down the hill. And he's like, those Ruskies, Ruskies. Because what was happening was at that time in Mongolia, the Russian horse bandits were coming over the hill, robbing the Western tourists taking all their possessions, their passports, their clothes, their money, the horses, and then going back over into Russia. And he thought that's what that what was. And so the lights kept coming down the hill and then they would turn off and then they would reappear lower and lower and lower. And then, you know, like we're in the middle of nowhere. Mm. We were clearly visible because we had a campfire that was smoldering. And uh, luckily, so I thought I went to bed that night, not knowing if I was going to wake up. And luckily it wasn't uh, the Ruskies. It was the, uh, some villagers who were coming home late one night or something. But, you know, I thought for the second time in a week that I'm like, dude, this sucks, you know? And, and then the other time, just a really drunk, nasty, very strong guy in Mongolia was on the bus with us and he was picking a fight with Segev and Segev actually elbowed him on the bus and the oh. dude went nuts. And uh, I told Segev, I'm like, dude, you got, you got to learn how to pick your battles. And he's like, this is my battle. I'm like, no, this is not your battle. I said, we're on, we're not on our home turf right now. Yeah. Sega was skinny. I'm like, he was skinny. And I'm like, dude, you can't take this guy. Because anyway, Mongolia is beautiful. It's one of the, probably one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to. It's also got a very strong uh, alcoholic problem. Okay. And uh, it's it's the wild, wild west. And if you get way out into where I was and 
things go wrong, you know, that's your, your toast. So. Yeah. Do you think Mongolia is like the throwback to maybe what traveling was like, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, where it is like pretty raw. Is that where it's at? Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's as raw as it comes. Yeah. And um, Ulaanbaatar is the capital and that's where all the villagers came in back. Uh, there was a major, uh, really bad winter. I don't remember the year now, but this was probably 2010, 2011. And about a quarter of all the livestock died because it was so cold. Um, and all these people lost a lot of their possessions and they moved to this, the capital and the capital can't support it with, you know, sanitation, and electrical. So they all live very, very poorly in these uh, yurts and the crime is through the roof and rapes are through the roof and people, all the Westerners were getting uh, pickpocketed and, and, and robbed. And uh, every, I mean, it, it's a beautiful country and the people are probably generally pretty good, but there's also some really bad stuff that happens there. It's, it's, it's extremely raw. It's probably one of the most raw places I've ever been. Yeah. That's kind of what I've maybe read, um, but it's, it's actually cool to hear from someone like yourself who's been there. And how long ago was that though? Mongolia was my last big trip was I came home in 2011, 2012. So that was around then okay. 2012. And I'm sure it's gotten worse because the, the, the villagers were moving into the big city and big city just couldn't accommodate it. It's, you know, there's just no infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and for Mongolia, what is the main attraction there? Do you think for people to go, like, is it to get on horseback and kind of ride those like wild plains or what's the main things there to see? It's huge. I mean, it's a massive country mm, Yeah, and it's very raw and uh, you know, there's nothing to do in Ulaanbaatar, the capital. So if you're sticking around there too long, you're in trouble, but everybody wants to go out and see the, there's the what's the there's a Mongolian desert, the Gobi, G-O-B-I desert. Yeah. That's out there. But once you get outside of Ulaanbaatar, there's no highways. Everything's dirt road. You literally get inside of a packed van with 25 of your closest friends, unless you can afford to buy a rent a, a private van, which is crazy. But mm-hmm. um, they don't have big buses, they have vans because of the roads and it's everything is spread out. So it's because it's so high on the the globe. Uh, elevation wise, the, the lighting and the shadows are incredible. Kind of like New Zealand is, you know, it's like the, the, it's so far North that the light and the, the natural beauty of Mongolia is off the chart. So mm-hmm. it is one of the most beautiful countries I've ever seen. You can't take a bad photograph there. There are safe ways to do it. Yeah. I'd imagine the, I don't know about, I've not done too much research in this. I imagine there's probably tour groups, right. Who do some sort of tours there. Yeah. That would be I, safe. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's the best way, but I imagine it might be the safest way. It would be the safest way, but I've I've never been a big fan of tour groups. I've done walking tours in cities like you know Bogota or whatever, but that's yeah. fine because you get a local person and you tip them and they show you some cool stuff and then you have a beer at the end. But you know I I don't want to be on the you know the marching tour and going to see all the crap that they want you to see. I want to go see what I want to see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the aim of not doing a a tour for sure. I was actually going to ask before Mongolia and ask now your purpose of travel. So I know you said before we start recording that you like to go off the beaten track. So that is that what you always look for in every trip that you do to a new country? Uh, yes. Uh, I, you know, of course you have to, I have to spend time in the, the, the major areas, but even then I, I, I don't go into Starbucks or I don't go into the McDonald's or whatever. It's like, you know, it's like, I always try to find the places that haven't been Starbucked. Is that, is that a new phrase? Starbucks. It is. I've, I've been using it for a while. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm gonna start using it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So anything that hasn't been Starbucked and and Lao hasn't been Starbucked yet, at least the last time I was there. So um, even the biggest city, which is Vientiane or whatever, it's it's not Starbucked yet. I don't think so. That's true. The, yeah, more, yeah. the more local flavors. So 
when we travel, my fiance and I, and even before that, I, even if I was traveling alone, I, I would just try to get as, as far away from the, the standard routine as possible. And, you know, of course, if you're in Barcelona or Madrid or London, you can't do that. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing completely off the radar there. So mm-hmm. you have to go, you, you still got to find the, the, the fun stuff to do. But I have nothing against London. I have nothing against uh, Barcelona or Madrid, but I can't stay in places like that for too long before I want to get to Valencia, Spain, or go up to Galicia or something. It's like, give me the quieter places with less uh, stuff. So yeah, your purpose, yeah. purpose. I have absolutely, I've never had a purpose. It's uh it's kind of like being a Zen monk, you know, people are like, what, what, why'd you go there? It's like, well, I, I just went there because I wanted to learn how to, you know, meditate, be more mindful, be more focused, be more compassionate. And I had an idea about what I was going to get out of it, but I didn't do it for any particular reason. And traveling for me is, it's almost, I don't, it, it's, it's never for a reason. It's just to go, it just seems like there's always something better to be doing somewhere else. So I guess, and I, I'm happy where I am. I'm always pretty happy where I am, but mm-hmm. you know, it's like, if you could say, Hey, do you want to stay here? Or do you want to go to Bolivia? It's like, all right, let's go to Bolivia. Yeah. <laughs> let's go to somewhere else <laughs> in the world that you love. Lao. And I love Lao as well. I've been there twice. I think you said on your website, that's your favorite place. Is that right? Yeah. I've been to 83 countries and Laos is my number one favorite country. And the second one is nowhere even remotely close. So it's like, if you can think of a foot, a football field or a soccer field or a pitch or whatever, and you've got the, the goal lines and Laos at one end, yeah. and the other two through 82 or half court or further back, it's like, they're not even close. So Laos is just, you know, you've been there. The people are just so sweet, so chill. They're generally Buddhist. Um, which, you know, and then it's like, it's, it's got so much diversity. It's landlocked. So they don't have a coast, but they have plenty of water. It's um, just the natural pristine beauty. Although China's taking a lot of their natural resources right now, but the the natural beauty and the fact that it hasn't been overdeveloped and uh, it's kind of off the beaten path. I know that it's part of the golden triangle with Thailand Mm -hmm. and, and Cambodia and Vietnam, and you just kind of do the circle, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just, and I've taken my fiance and her son there. And they both agree that it's, you know, it's the bomb. So, Yeah, I don't know if you know, but they're building that highway from Vientiane all the way up to north to China. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So I went 2013, first time. Very raw, the tubing stopped, but very raw. Like, people was great. We went to just a few towns, like Luang Prabang is pretty, bit of a a traveller paradise, if you like. And then Vientiane. And then... 2018, we went to pretty much the same. I've done the same trip, trip twice, but with my girlfriend. But we, this time we took a flight because the, the roads in Laos are quite windy and they're not right. great. So if you take a bus and you get travel sick, it's probably not the best way. But anyway, we booked a bus. We decided not to because we read that's not, not great. And I've done it before. Right. I took a flight. And when you take the flight up, you can see the sort of the pylons that, that connect the road, right? And they're going all the way north to the border wow. so it's going to be a highway yeah, that's good them. that's going to ruin it a little bit yeah unfortunately. But other than that real, real authentic yeah no it's, I'm, I'm, I'm big into keeping it keeping it real so you know you can't stop the you can't stop development or or the you know advancement of whatever but hopefully you can slow it down and then the the thing is okay so then all right that's that's no good where do you go you got to go find the next Lao. so mm. or at least find the part of Lao that hasn't been ruined yet but where so, do you think is the next Lao, if you had a guess? Actually, we went to Colombia a couple of years ago, which, of course, was not a 
it was not on the, the tourist destination for many years because of the carteles yeah. and the drugs and the narco traffic all that stuff. So now it's open for business. And Meg and I went there two years ago and it's uh, right before COVID, whatever it was, it mm. was just, it's, it's probably my number three country in the world. And it's very, very raw. Of course there's, you know, Bogota and Medellin are very large cities, but you know, they're, it's just a beautiful country that hasn't been, you know, touristed yet. And mm. uh, so that's, I think that's going to be really big, um, especially up in the mountains. This is gorgeous. And it's got the coastline. And mm. so, um, and then I don't know what else would be. Um, it, what, what's interesting is there's a lot of stuff going on geopolitically with, you know, Russia and Ukraine, which is going to make some areas off limits for a while. So people are going to go find other things. And I think Colombia is number one on my list to visit, actually. It's oh, actually wow. Top, top of my list. All right. Yeah, so yeah. don't, don't, tell, don't let your, everybody know this, but the, my favorite city in uh, Colombia is called Jardín, which means garden, de Antioquia. Okay. And it's, um, up in the top, of, it's up, not up in the top, it's up in the mountains, it's fairly high elevation, but it's an old Spanish, you know, hub city with the big cathedral and the square and bars and restaurants and people just gather at night and it's got the most, the coolest setting. Yeah. Meg and I actually had, we got lucky, we had our own little, called a finca, which has a gate and you had your own house and it had, it was crazy. So, and it had avocado trees and plum trees and oh, a wow. river flowing beneath it and everything. So it was, it was cool. But that would be that would be why you know Colombia is should be on everyone's list to go down there. Hundred uh, percent. You still got to be careful in some cities like uh, was it Bogota, Medellin? Yeah, Medellin's kind of downtown's kind of goofy, but yeah, just mind your mind yourself. Love that. Okay, I've got a whole list here. So next area we're going to go to, which I've not discussed ever on this podcast, is the, is the Stans. Oh yeah, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, and Kyrgyzstan. I didn't pronounce that right. Yep. Again, it's an area of Central Asia that rarely gets much traction, whether that's online or even by travelers who've been there. So you've been to some of those countries um, in general. Like, what is it like there? Is it, is it, again, is it raw like Mongolia or is it a bit more akin to travelers, do you think? So, okay. So for those people that just uh, need a refresher on history, uh, USSR, when it, when it broke up in 1991, it got rid of a lot of countries, including Ukraine, Latvia, which is where my father's from, Lithuania, Estonia, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Belarus, which means white Russian. And um, that's what Belarus stands for, white Russian. So interesting tidbit. Um, yeah. But anyway, so Kazakhstan, this is crazy tidbit too. Russia, which USSR, which used to be the largest country, still is geographically. I think it's bigger than Canada, but when they got rid of Kazakhstan, they still became, they still retained the crown. Kazakhstan is the eighth largest country in the world. So Kazakhstan used to be part of Russia. It's its own country. It's the eighth largest by itself. But no one besides Borat, you know, knows anything about Kazakhstan. Yeah. Kyrgyzstan is one of the, it's, it's in my top seven of all times. Uh, Kyrgyzstan oh, wow. okay. and Bishkek, Bishkek's the capital, is really cool. But Kyrgyzstan is amazing for the, it's got like, you know, high mountains, it's got rivers, it's got everything, and it's untouched. So it's no one, I mean, how many people do you know, James, that have been to Kyrgyzstan? No one. <laughs> yeah. So, and yeah. and I, I ended up traveling the whole time in Kyrgyzstan. I was there for a month with a, a German couple that I met somewhere in Kyrgyzstan. 
at my hostel or hotel or whatever. And we ended up traveling and hiking together and staying together for the next couple of weeks. And we all had food poisoning together and everything. But so, but, uh, and then no one knows this, but basically there's a Taj Mahal, Samarkand, Samarkand, S-A-M-A-R-K-A-N-D in Uzbekistan. And I guarantee you, if you ask, if you go out tonight and you ask somebody, hey, have you ever heard of Samarkand? More than likely, no one has. If you say, have you ever been there? No one ever has. And it's it's cool. And so Samarkand is a, it's it's from the, I don't know when it was, from 700s. And it's just this gorgeous, absolutely amazing place in the middle of nowhere. The, the photos look amazing. And yeah. like you say, it, wow, yeah, that looks incredible. And it's the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> that, so. is, that is what I would say off the beaten track, yeah. Yeah, I so mean, that, someone told me about that once. Actually, a guy at the Zen Center, he told me he uh, wanted to go to Samarkand. I'm like, where the hell is that? And he's like, Uzbekistan. And I, I said, again, where the hell is that? And he said, okay, it's over there. And I'm like, okay, one of these days I'll make it. So yeah. I, actually, I, and you, you know, you said you had chills, chills earlier. When I, when I saw Uzbekistan, uh, when I saw Samarkand as I was go- coming in on the taxi from the airport, I was just like, oh my God, my, my, uh, you know, I had this tingling sensation. It was just unbelievable. No one was there. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. And so someone like Samarkand and, and Uzbekistan as a country, I mean, I can read off some questions because I literally know nothing about it. The only thing I know about Uzbekistan is I think it's the biggest cotton exporter in the world, a random fact. Oh. I think it's something like that. And I think I right. didn't know the capital as well. But Uzbekistan, I mean, five questions like what do they eat? Like how do they dress? What's the dominant religion there? What's the people like? Like what is like someone like Uzbekistan? How would you describe it? So the, Uzbek- the Uzbeki people look a lot like um, they look Russian. They 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 dress Russian. Yeah. So they have a lot, they they um, they actually had some colorful head head colorings and stuff. Um, they you know it's a former you know they speak Russian. It's a former Russian uh, state mm. or whatever. Um, they eat a lot of vegetables. They eat a lot of bread, and they make these big huge loaves of bread that are just absolutely gorgeous. Um, and they, they, their food is very rich. So they like to have, you know, like heavy creams and rich foods and meats yeah. and stuff. But they make these beautiful breads and they have these, the, the biggest vegetables I've ever seen in the world are in Uzbekistan. I don't know what the hell they were. But, <laughs> and, um, you know, but it's R- Russian food uh, and the people predominantly are uh, Muslim. So yeah. it's, um, I guess maybe Muslim and Orthodox would be one, you know, the other one. I'm just doing this off of memory, but yeah. You know, very few, and I guess Christian would be some, but that would be the, the main would be uh, Muslim and, and Orthodox, and um, no tourists. Very, very, very few, mm. very few, and at least this is back last time I was there, which was or the only time I was there, which was twenty twenty twelve ish or whatever. It's not easy to get to, and so people would rather go, nothing wrong with Croatia, but you know, it's a lot easier to get to Croatia than yeah. it is to get to Almaty, which is the capital of uh, Kazakhstan. Yes. So, yeah. And also for this area, I don't know if you tried. Did you ever try to get to Turkmenistan, or was that a bit difficult to get to? Because Turkmenistan, there... Turkmenistan is off limits. It's very yeah. hard to get visas. It's very hard to get visas to all four of those countries. Um, the easiest one is Kyrgyzstan. At least, I mean, this is ten years old information, or whatever. But mm. Kyrgyzstan was the easiest. So I went to Bishkek and hung out there, which was really cool, very cool city. And I had a travel agent uh, working. I paid her, paid them money. The the, the past the, the visa stamps for Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, and Kazakhstan were very expensive. 
and they had to go through the diplomatic channels or whatever. So I had to stay in Bishkek till she got me the passport back. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Turkmenistan, which was another one that was divested by the USSR, yep. is also back then. The, I don't know if it's changed, but the ruler was extremely uh, authoritarian, and they, they had an almost a zero entry policy for tourists, and it was very hard to get in. Just like Belarus, Belarus was very hard to get into. Mm. Uh, Russia was very hard to get into. And so those are, of all the countries that I haven't been to, there's 50 countries in Europe, supposedly, and I've been to 42 of them. Belarus is one that I haven't been to. Um, and the Turkmenistan is back over in Asia, but yeah. Belarus yeah. is one, because it, and Russia is the other one, because they're just so hard to get into. Yeah, I think Turkmenistan is still the same, from what I've read. A uh, leader who's a bit, bit crazy. So Right. Yeah, it's probably the, same guy, probably the same crackpot. But the <laughs> interesting thing was I met a dude in uh, Tashkent. Yeah. I met a guy there in Tashkent who looked like he could be Hispanic. He looked like he could be um, Asian. He looked like he could be um, Middle Eastern. He had this look that could, you couldn't figure out where he was from. And he mm. had this beard that made your beard look like amateur hour. And he, <laughs> he actually wanted to go into Afghanistan to say he had been to Afghanistan. This is, you know, after, you know, after 9-11. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And he was crazy enough to go because that, that country bordered Afghanistan and he went down to the border, crossed under uh, some bridge to get in there, snuck into Af- Afghanistan just to say he got in there. And he said he almost got killed because they, someone someone caught him and they were going to kill him. And I'm like, dude, why would you do that? And he's like, I just wanted to p- say I've been to Afghanistan. I'm like, all right, enjoy riding around in a wheelchair the rest of your life. Doesn't mean anything, does it? Just to get, no. what does it mean? <laughs> crazy. He was crazy, oh. but hey, you know. Yeah, yeah. I guess he's got a story to tell for that. And he's still alive. <laughs> so, so that general area of the stands was was there like a highlight? Do you think maybe something that like put you in awe? Like, wow, that's that's incredible. Apart from Samarkand, which was discussed. Samarkand was Samarkand was by far the it's the uh, the coolest man made thing I've ever seen, other than Machu Picchu. Yeah. Um, but Kyrgyzstan, which is on my top five countries list, yeah, is yeah. Kyrgyzstan. I went on a uh, with with Rudy. Rudiger and uh, Rudiger was from Germany and his, his uh, wife was Christina or whatever. We went traveling from, we rode a boat on one of the lakes and then we went uh, backpacking for five days up through the mountains. And, uh, you know, I had my tent, they had their tent, but um, it would be uh, backpacking in um, Kyrgyzstan and, um, and and hanging out in Bishkek. Also, you know, seeing Samarkand and Uzbekistan. And also I went to, I did go to Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. And the capital used to be Almaty, and then they're making it into another one. Like I forget what. Yeah. But yeah. I took a train, a nonstop train that was 28 hours from one city to the other. Almaty. Okay, so they moved it to Almaty from another one. But I went to the previous capital of uh, Kazakhstan, which was really cool. Astana. Yeah, Astana. There you go. So there's a there's a soccer team. Yes. That made it pretty big. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yes, I know. Or we, you guys call it football, but soccer. yeah, yeah, football. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, I, I stayed in Astana for a few nights, then I took a train to Almaty. Almaty is the new capital, and the uh, Kazakhstan has this tremendous amount of cash because of all the natural resources. Yes, uh, Kazakhstan's yeah. crazy rich, and they built they built the coolest buildings I've ever seen in in, in Almaty. The the most unbelievable architecture, and they're not tall. They're not like you know like in Shanghai or something. They're just these beautiful buildings, and they're everywhere. So Almaty, the architectural beauty of Almaty is crazy. It's a new city with crazy amount of money. 
I was traveling by myself and I, I would go days without talking to anybody that was that spoke English. You know, it's like it, it was kind of weird because I got kind of lonely, which is unusual for me. But, you know, if you want to go to the raw places, those the stands are right, right up there. So are they pretty cheap as well to travel? Do you think? Yeah, very cheap. Yeah. Relatively um, cheap. You know, they're cheaper than uh, at least at the time they were cheaper than the normal parts of Europe, you know, France, mm. Spain, Germany. Yeah. UK, much cheaper. But Kazakhstan, yeah, it's got lots of money and resources, but it's quite a poor country, right? Or was yes. that, is that, a, is that all a four of those? All four of those countries are the people are relatively poor. Kazakhstan itself is very rich. I don't know how how much it filters down to the common people, just like in Russia, you know. Yeah, I guess the byproduct of that makes it is a bit of a cheap area to go to. So yeah, it's kind of like yeah, and, it, like, and I like yeah. drinking beer. You know, full disclosure, I like drinking beer, and so the, <laughs> and, and and the and the stands. They have uh, all of them. Are, the cans are in Russian, or uh, they have a lot of Turkish imports. Yeah. And so a lot of the, the beer is really good and it's really cheap. Um, so you know, put that on your list. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the stands is on my list. It's a it's a real left field area to go to. Uh, like you say, I think it's a trip in itself. I don't think what I, I wouldn't include that in a bigger trip. It's probably like concentrate on the area. That's going to be the, the trip. It's huge. I mean, yeah, you yeah. need. It's not. It's not like going from. Uh, you know, Germany to France to Italy and Austria. It's, you know, it's a, you know, Kazakhstan is the eighth largest country in the world. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. But there's, not, there's nothing in Kazakhstan except Almaty and Astana. So there is, and I apologize to the Kazakhstanis that are listening in here, but um, there's not much there besides those two cities. <laughs> Do you know what? I've, never, I've had listeners from Uzbekistan. So, um, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got a few listeners from there, I think. Uh, but not from the other countries, unfortunately. Not yet, anyway. Outside of Almaty, there's another whole area that's uh, ruins of a former civilization that's uh, up there. It's world class as well. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but it's uh, it's crazy. So, you know, it's it's off the beaten path, and I'll think about it again. I haven't thought about it since you said, since we just talked about this, but it's in the middle of nowhere, and it's this, this old... Uh, Hang, it was oh, it's from the Silk Road. It was a Silk Road stopover ah. in Uzbekistan. Yeah, and yeah. it was incredible. I spent three days there and uh, had a blast. So, oh wow, the I architecture do, do and the, the research the, on that. Is it like a town, like a lot, like almost like a yeah? It's on the town. Silk Road in Uzbekistan. And we're gonna talk um, Himalayas because I think you have a favorite place. Yeah, there, Dak. let's do it. You love Nepal and India. That's your India is India is my third. Second favorite country in the world. Yeah, and especially the Ladakh region and Zanskar. Yeah, uh, Ladakh and Zanskar. Are my, Ladakh is, uh, you know, the capital city of Ladakh is Leh, L-E-H. And that's like the trail or the hiking and, and trekking base for Ladakh. Ladakh's a large area and, in, and Zanskar is right next to it. But I've been there three times in, or four times now in my life. And I think I've spent a total of 100 nights sleeping in a tent um, with my horseman or cook or my not sleeping in the same tent with my horseman. I got my own, I got my yeah. own tent. And yeah. yeah. I, and I took my fiance there. She was my girlfriend at the time. We, we did the same thing. We didn't stay in tents because we didn't have as much time, but you know, sleeping up above on average, we were sleeping above 12,000 feet elevation, which is wow. you know, 3,500 yeah. meters. That's I just, I don't know. I just, it's the mountains are just my favorite. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm extremely pale. I don't know if you can see from the camera, yeah. but I don't tan well. I've had a bunch of stuff cut out of my face for cancer. I shouldn't be in the sun ever. So, you know, for some reason, the mountains are a lot more, you know, they, they call to me rather than the beach, you know, and I don't like being hot and humid. 
So um, it's terrible like that. And the DAC is right up north, right? So it's like right northwest. The DAC is on the border with Tibet and China, mm. in the very far north. It's it's uh, Delhi's landlocked, and then directly north of that is uh, Ladakh. And next to Ladakh is the uh, the Muslim area called uh, Kashmir. Yes. Jammu and Kashmir. So it's up in that area with Jammu and Kashmir. One of my versions of my book had a full listing of every place I slept. 32 months of traveling around the world on two different trips. And it was called, I spent three nights in Samarkand. Then I spent two nights in Bukhara, B-U-K-H-A-R-A. And Bukhara is on the Silk Road. And it was just crazy. So I know you'll probably put that in the show notes, but you should also put that in the James notes for your future (laughs) travel. Yes, I mean, so you don't know anybody that's been to Samarkand, much less no. Bukhara, but when you go there, you'll, you'll like, give it a couple of days. It's Each place is... So you could do it, maybe, like, just go back to Uzbekistan. You could probably do Tashkent to arrive, and then make your way down to Samarkand, and then across to Bukhara. That's what I did. Yeah. And then from Bukhara, I went... Uh, the next town was Dushanbe, which is over on the court, on the border with the next country, which the capital of that was... Uh, Dushanbe was a jeep ride. That was a lot of fun. And I took a jeep ride over into the... the I took That's I took a jeep ride to Boy- Boysen B O Y S U N. That was where I spent the night. Yeah, and then I went to Dushanbe, and that's where I met the dude that had tried to sneak into Afghanistan. Oh yeah. And then I went. To, then I did two nights in Almaty. Then I went to Turkestan. That Turkestan is in um, Kazakhstan. That's worth the trip. Turkestan is really cool. It's an old place. And I was there with my buddy Segev, so we had fun. Okay. Turkestan um, is that that's an area of Kazakhstan. Turkestan is in. Uh, uh, it's between Almaty oh. and Astana. And Chim Kent. So I wonder then, why that I wonder why that's not his own country. Because it's got um, Turkestan. It's, Tur- it's called Turkestan, but it's not Turkmenistan. Yeah, yeah. But I wonder why but, they didn't why they didn't break off and have their own country. Why they stayed part of Kazakhstan. I don't know, because Almaty's in the south and Turkestan was in the middle. Then I mm. went to Shim Kent and Austin Austin was in the north. Yeah. And yeah. I took a then I took an airplane to Kiev, Kiev, Ukraine. Oh, yeah. been, unfortunately it's kind of it's not the same, but I spent three nights in Kiev, and then I went to Lviv, which is where everybody's going to now to get out of Kiev. Yeah, been to both of those places, yeah. Bratislava and Budapest and Pesh and Sarajevo. Anyway, that was a fun trip. <laughs> well, yeah. And did you record every night? Was that like a religious thing that you would maybe note down what you've done, where you've been, who you've met? Is that what you did? Uh, I didn't keep much detail. I just kept a, a record of every every city I slept in. And... If I slept on a train or on a sleeper car or a, a airplane or an airport, then that you know that was just an airport or whatever. But I I didn't keep track of everything I did or where I stayed or what I ate, mm-hmm. but I kept track of where I slept every night. So and I haven't even looked at this version of the book in forever. So I I'll remember you know summer con now for a while until I forget it again. So <laughs> yeah, I, I probably need to get that book actually. I need to have a look. That, that sounds really. Uh... I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll, I'll I'll mail you a copy. So this this is actually the version called the Lexpedition, which was yeah. the previous version before Passport Forward. Okay. Because somebody told me that, you know, your name, Lexpedition, isn't going to mean much to people that don't know you. And I'm like, well, it's a cool name, though. Yeah, it's, so a, it's I, a great name. Yeah. I don't know. So I screwed up, and I, I spent a lot of money to change the name to Passport Forward, and had an editor condense it, and a lot of my humor's gone. But anyway. <laughs> I think we'll come to logistics of the book. I've got a few questions about a book, actually, later. Okay, cool. I've got um, a draft I've done two years ago don't know what to do with it anyway let's go back to india so ladakh so you love the love the area so you love the mountains is there a special reason why you love that area like is there particular is it the people is it the food is it the himalayas like what's the reason you love that area uh well part of it is just because it's up in the mountains and 
you know, uh, lay is up at 12,000 feet, which is like 3,000 something meters. Mm. Um, so it's very high. You're surrounded by Himalayas all around. It's absolutely gorgeous. The people in uh, Ladakh are Buddhist. They're chill um, for the most part. The, the, it's just the natural scenery, the, the beauty. And it's really hard to get there. It takes a commitment. And, you know, once you're there, though, I, you know, one time I, 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 went Indi- I went to India on my first big trip around the world. I, I took two 16-month trips around the world. And that was, I landed in Delhi on August 1st, 2006 and did not know where I was going to next. All I cared about was I had enough money to bank to travel for a few years. And I was just going to make it up as I went along. And so mm-hmm. I went from a state in Delhi and went to uh, Agra, which is where the Taj Mahal is. And I took a train up to Kalka and then switched on that train to a small train to Shimla, which is one of those toy trains. And then I yep. stayed in Shimla for a few days. Then I took a bus to Manali. Then I stayed in Manali for four days. Then I took a Jeep overland with a guy from Croatia that I'd met. And we went to Kaza and stayed a couple nights in Kaza. Then he went his way. He was going to do an eleven-day trek by himself against wow. the direction of the the locals. He couldn't get a permit. Finally, he got one. Uh, he went that way, and I went this way. And I went to Lay, and uh, I found a horseman and a cook. And he he they took me for twenty-one days. Started in Darcha and ended up in Lama Yuru, and twenty-one days. So every day I would walk six to eight hours. They would carry my my uh, heavy stuff, which was my tent and my sleeping bags and whatever. They would carry all the food and I would carry a little small backpack full of food and water for the day and walk six or eight hours, meet up with them at the campsite, start over again the next day. But every night, just absolutely gorgeous. Wow! So I did a 21 day trek. I did a 14 day trek. Meg and I did uh, a five day trek on one of our trips six years ago. And you know, it's like if, if I could go any place in the world right now, it would be back to the Himalayas. So it has a special hold like, on me as well. I, I don't yeah. know what it is. Um, yeah, well, you got Annapurna behind you, so yeah, yeah. And I think I love that. Like Darjeeling is probably a bit more of a touristy place than maybe where you've been in India. But I, I just got fed enough with the setting there, where it's in the hills. And did you go to Darjeeling? Yeah, yeah, I've been Darjeeling. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know that. Oh, so did you make it up to Sikkim? No, so that's part of the Seven Sisters, right? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a protectorate of India that was uh, uh, Sikkim is its own little world, and it's to me it's my next playground. So I went there and spent five nights or six nights in Sikkim. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, but Darjeeling, it, yeah, it's it's a it's a town, but you know you just use that to get to Sikkim. Yeah, we done the Singalila Ridge Trek, which is like um, goes along Kanchenjunga around the bottom. Oh yeah, and the funny thing is we done this five day trek. I mean, I was real like novice at um kind of hiking at this point. Had no real like proper equipment and stuff. Anyway, we've done this trek. It's snowing, it's raining, real cold weather, no views, we didn't see anything. <laughs> but um decent. And then we met this tour group, probably like they're in the fifties, so probably twenty of them from the UK. And they do a, a trek like that every year. They meet up and oh. go somewhere in the world. The first night we saw them, second night we stayed in the same place as them and like they're like smoking weed and hash with us and stuff. It's quite funny. Yeah. And one guy was from Ipswich, which is near where I'm from, and we're talking about it. And then next morning, they decided to go a different route because they said, it's snowing, it's raining, it's a hard, hard hike. We're going to take a different route, but we'll finish at the same point. So, okay, well, we'll, we'll see you further on. And they oh. thought we we're going to do the same. So we, we, we finished our actual route, our hike, and we're sitting there having some pasta on this like, little town in the hills at the end of the trek. 
and they come walking down like this big group and they like high-fived us and they said did you do the trek I'm like yeah yeah like oh man that's hardcore like we're we're really good hikers but even for us that was too much like kudos to you that's a, that's a great achievement so I'm like, oh, thanks very much but yeah those guys were, were loving it did you do the whole trek or not yeah the five days yeah yeah, yeah. i was ah. hanging i bet at the end of the five days i couldn't wait to get back to start shooting and just go to uh, have some tea and a cake and go to cinema it was just a I need yeah, to, uh, right. that's, a, that's the best feeling. I, when I would go seven or eight days without taking a shower, because, of course, you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And then you get to a town where you can get a, a, a different thing to eat. You can have a bed to sleep in for a night and go out and get a pizza and a beer. That's so good because it's like you it made me realize and appreciate. Yes, exactly. The stuff. But then I would be more than happy to get back in and put my backpack on and get the hell out of town and go hiking again for another week. Because it's like I'd rather be out there than – you know, the, the pizza and the beer and the, and the hot shower is nice, but I'd rather be out doing the fun stuff. So, yeah, I totally agree. It, it felt like an achievement. It felt like I've done, I've achieved something because that's the only hike I've done. I've done a few where I think it's the third day. We had, we stayed at this little outpost. It's on the border actually between India and Nepal. And there's, there's troubles at the time, but they said, oh, no, it's fine. There's, a, there's an army post there. We'll stay there. Right. And it was snowing. It was cold. And it, I was broken. I was like, I've done like eight hours hiking in the snow. Yeah. I just went straight to bed, no food. And I think the guy ah. was worried about me. So like, okay, James's food. And like he says to my friend, and he's gone straight to sleep. It's interesting that, you know, you got the Annapurna behind you and in Nepal, but I, I talked to several people and they said, I was telling them I wanted to do that. They said, it's great, but go to Ladakh because there's fewer people. Um, and there's, uh, there's all kinds of things that make it better than Annapurna. I, and I've never done the Annapurna circuit, so I can't speak to both, but, there's just something about the, you know, you get off the beaten path in Ladakh on these trails and there's no, there's not many people there. You know, I would go hours without seeing another person on the trail. Mm. Um, so, and some days I would be by myself, which is perfect. So. Yeah, absolutely. Your person who said that about Annapurna, they're right. It's busy. Um, I don't know how many people do the 21 days. I, I don't know if that's a popular thing. We've done the five days to Poon Hill, which is where this photo is taken and then back down um to where we almost started so it's kind of yeah, i see people there over your left shoulder uh it looks like a photograph and you got like 10 of your best friends there <laughs> yeah yeah so it is it definitely was busy like probably 100 people at that viewpoint in the morning yeah um so yeah if you don't want that sort of level of people then it's worth doing because the annapurna itself is amazing to look at and perfect weather this is unbelievable because when i've done the single leader trip trek in, in india there's constant rain and snow no views right yeah. Um, but this was obviously the perfect morning. So, yeah, Sikkim, I was, when I was in Sikkim, it was raining a lot. Um, and it was raining to the point where you, it was too hard to, to trek because it was dangerous. But, uh, okay. Um, but, you know, I, it's on my list to go back to. So, God, it's like my list is, is infinite. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it's also, you know, I, we, we both work remotely. So it's like I can work from anywhere, but it's also, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things going on. So, yeah, I think that, that eastern states of India, right? Sikkim is part of that. It's an like untouched area of India that people don't really check out that much. No, one's, no one ever goes to Sikkim, so you should go yeah. there. Um, it's like a land as well. So, yeah, so if you, you've probably been to Varanasi, right? Yeah. All right, so Varanasi is to the west so of, of Darjeeling. So if you would go keep going further east of Darjeeling, you would get to what they call a chicken neck where it goes into Assam. And that's Sikkim is north of Darjeeling. And that little area, uh, mm. and it's protected. I think Sikkim borders China. It does. It's yeah, wedged yeah. in between China and India. So and Bhutan as well. And Bhutan, yeah. Yeah. 
It's up in the, so it's, it's like, you know, everybody wants to go to Bhutan, you know, you can go to Sikkim just as easily. You don't have to spend $200 a day and uh, you don't have to have someone give you a tour guide. So, yeah, that's a fair point, actually. It's a, it's a good tip that, yeah, because it's in the same area, right? I don't know if this is true. I've done my research for a while, but I think some of these states in the, in the eastern parts like Nagaland and Meghalaya, right. you might need permits. I don't know if that's true, like separate permits to go to those places. Yeah, but I think those are fairly easy to get. There's a Assam, okay. there's Nagaland, and then actually, I met. Have you ever seen people up in that area from Nagaland or Assam? They look. You you would think that they were Japanese. No one goes over there. I mean, like, how many people do you know have been past east of the Chicken Neck yeah. of India? And it's exactly. like they don't. So that little Chicken Neck has a lot of resources over there. So that it's very rich resource wise. So that's why they keep that Chicken Neck open for. The natural resources from Assam and Nagaland, but um, you know, I I would I never got the chance to go over there, even though I've spent four months in India. I've never been up in that area, but mm. I, I I can't even think about it off the top of my head. But I think the next country that borders it to the east would be uh, Burma, Myanmar. Yeah, I reckon. Is so. that right? Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, yeah, still got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And um, again, Burma is another place that I think you've been to. I've been to as well, but before the troubles of of today. Um, was a great place to go to but obviously nowadays i'm not sure um, how easy that is yeah they didn't even have internet when i was there i mean they, they oh wow okay yeah so the internet was like one place in in the town in the main <laughs> in the main city and you went to bagan right that you yeah. went and saw the temples yeah that's worth a couple of days a week right there so i spent a month in myanmar and amazing people yeah like, amazing and oh, they're just unreal so simple and so easy but you know of course it's a very it's a, again it's a, a ruthless uh, military dictatorship and you, if you stay in the local places and you stay away from those you can do okay yeah it's unfortunate really and i think we had such a, a great experience with like we only dipped in for a week because there's a last minute decision to go there i'm so glad we did but yeah we had people just helping us out they take us to like a, a like a local restaurant we couldn't believe how cheap it was like we in yangon we went to this local restaurant and yangon yeah that's it yeah we we got this food and we're vegetarians so we don't have any meat and they took the meat out of the meal for us, which was great. Um, wow. And then took money off. I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, yeah, it, it, it should be like a dollar, but there's like 50 cents in the end. And it's because there's no meat in it. I was like, that's already cheap. But it's crazy. That you, <laughs> you just take money off because we're not even having any, any of your meat. And it's a yeah. classic, classic case where maybe one of the staff, there's like 10 staff who work in this restaurant, but only one speaks very, very broken English. It's that sort of style of um, right. authenticity, right? Yeah. So you're still vegetarian? Just about. Yeah. So you'll love, you'll love Northern. If you go to Ladakh, it's the best. So yeah. India has um, the best food in my opinion. Oh yeah. I'm a big fan of India. I just can't eat it very much or else I'll wait. I'll be as big as a house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I discussed this the other day, actually. I want to, I want to hear what you think, right? There's one view, right? Forever that you can only have, I think yours might be Himalayas, but the, the premise is, um, I was reading somewhere that, you know, deep down, like historically, we have right. this like at, sort of yearning to go back to maybe like the wildlands of Africa because that's kind of where it all started, right? Right. But then they discuss like, oh, if you could have one view for the rest of your life, but that's the only view you're going to get, um, what would it be? So like your, your options, obviously, mountains or a city, generic city or beach, like idyllic beach. Like what is your view that you'd have for the rest of your life? Damn, that makes me sad that I would only have one more view left. Um, yeah, I said Himalayas. That was my actual instinct. Yeah. It would, yeah, it would be the Himalayas. But some of like the Cook Islands is very close, very close second. Near Fiji, yeah. 
well. Wow. I don't like being hot. I don't like being uh, in the sun. So I love going to the beach, but I like getting out of there. Um, and I don't like humidity. I don't do well when I'm hot. And so, mm. you know, I'm kind of a wuss with hot heat and humidity in the sun. But it would be the Himalayas for sure. Or anything, a mountain town. Like when, like I told you, Jardín de Antioquia in, in Colombia, I could, that would be, that would be up there as a rival to the Himalayas. Okay. There's just something about mountain towns, you know? So we've done the Annapurna Trek, very well known, everyone does it. But our tour guide took us on the way back, um, different different way back. We saw no one, maybe one or two <laughs> people. And we stayed in this little town, middle of nowhere, no roads, can only get there by walking or hiking. And it's just pure silence, the mountains in the background. There's this one guest house in this village of maybe 20 people. And it's amazing that I just couldn't believe what I was seeing, what I was hearing. Yeah. That, that doesn't get any better. I think even Emma says that. It's just, that's the best place that she's been to. Yeah, I agree. And we're so glad he took us that way because I think the other way was popular with people going back to town. So we're going to take one more area and it's going to be your home country because you travel to every state. And I think right. it's just good to end on USA um, as you're there now. Um, do you have a favorite state apart from the one you're in now? Uh, well, yeah, Kentucky. This is my favorite because that's where I was born and that's where I have my most relationships and, and memories. But the most beautiful state in America, in my opinion, is Hawaii. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Hawaii is like a, a microcosm of everything you can imagine on the earth being squeezed into one area. And it's, you know, the many yeah. islands, but, you know, they've got volcanoes, you've got waterfalls, you've got beaches, you've got mountains. And it's just absolutely gorgeous. It's just draw-dropping gorgeous. I'm a big fan of the Pacific Northwest, you know, not too okay. far from where you are. Like Washington yep. State, Oregon are absolutely gorgeous. California, mm. um, you know, it, it's past its prime as far as I'm concerned. But the okay. natural beauty, the natural beauty of California is unbelievable. You've got such crazy differences from the south to the north. And Joshua Tree yep. National Park down in the south. And you know, up to the north, you've got, you know, uh, Yosemite. So California and Hawaii are probably my two uh, favorites as far as natural beauty mm-hmm. and the places that I'm not big, big fans of are the places in the South where it's hot and humid all the time. So. So Texas and stuff like that, right? It's not your. Yeah, t- Texas. I haven't spent a whole lot of time in Texas, but like I wouldn't want to be in Mississippi and Arkansas and uh, Alabama during the summer. So, <laughs> and actually th- this is an interesting fact. I have been to all 50 States. My, I have two younger brothers, Dominic and Brennan. They're the superstars. They're the ones that were on America's Got Talent. Independently of me, they have also been to all 50 states. So not only – we wow. have three kids in the same family that have been to all 50 states. So if that doesn't say something about the travel bug, I don't know what does. So Where, where are they based at the minute in USA? Or are they uh, Everybody's back in Kentucky except for me. Oh, okay, right. So they're back there. They're back in Kentucky, yeah. Yeah. Professional entertainers, so they travel a lot. So Okay. As yeah. a matter of fact, I'm going to see them Saturday night here, just north of Denver. They're performing for a hockey team, and I'm going to go watch them perform. So I'm going to see my brothers for the first time in a, in a while. Oh, that'd be awesome. Uh, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. And also for Kentucky, maybe you can tell the listeners what's there. Well, the most famous horse race probably in the world is in Louisville, Kentucky, Kentucky Derby. Yeah. Um, I don't know if any of you guys know anything about movies, but George Clooney is from Kentucky. Okay. Uh, Tom Cruise is from Kentucky. Colonel Sanders is from Kentucky. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And um, <laughs> Lexington, which is the horse capital of America, uh, that's where the, you know, the, the, the thoroughbreds are bred and, and raised and everything like that. Mm. So that's about it. You know, Kentucky, Louisville is really beautiful. It's a great city and it's got a lot going for it. Most people know Louisville for three things. Uh, Kentucky Derby, 
Kentucky Fried Chicken and bourbon. The bourbon is a uh, oh. whiskey. Bourbon is from Kentucky, so yeah. On the advert, it says it's a mix between Scotland and Kentucky. So oh, there you that's go. Says here. Yeah, yeah. Because it's originally from Scotland, I imagine the the whiskey. Yeah, that's uh, bourbon is a specific type of bur- uh, whiskey that's supposedly only supposed to be made in Kentucky. So uh, okay, whiskey right. can be from anywhere, but bourbon yeah. can only be for Kentucky. Ah, okay, that's a good fact. Not not an expert in that field. Yeah. Okay. And also for Hawaii, actually, I've got a question for Hawaii. Is there an island that's a favorite? Kauai. Kauai. I thought you might say Kauai, yeah. yeah. I've been doing some research on Kauai, and it looks unbelievable. Yeah, it's 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 great. And I uh, I was there just after Hurricane Aniki, which passed through in 1990, early 90s. So it was still kind of torn up, mm. but um, it was still absolutely gorgeous. I mean, just like paradise. And that's, that's where I almost died. That's the first time I thought I was going to die, actually. Oh. I thought I was dead. I was boogie boarding on like a horseshoe bay. The The waves were coming in from the right and the waves were coming in from the left. And they were in the middle. It was like a washing machine. And I was over here. And somehow I got stuck in the washing machine. And I just kept going under and under and hitting my head on the sand and the rocks. And I just, I couldn't, every time I came up, I would get, go back down. And I was literally eating water. And I thought I was going to die. And my wife at the time, I was married back then. Yeah. She um, she was watching from the shore and she thought I was dead. And so when I came, popped back up and I swam back up to the shore, I just was like, I almost died. She's like, yeah, I, you disappeared for a while. I thought you were gone. And wow. that was bad. But other than that, Hawaii is amazing. So just don't get, just don't die. <laughs> there's a tip for life. Just don't die. Yeah, don't die. Because when you die, you like, as far as I know, maybe there's reincarnation, but as long as you're not dead, you can keep doing stuff. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> in, in Kauai, is there that, um, a secret beach where you have to hike to there there's plenty of places probably you can research and find i don't know anything mm. about it now god that was 1994 ish so what's that 28 years ago wow. Good Lord. Yeah. yeah so any plans to go to any states in the future is there any like kind of in your home country they think you have to go to or any places in the u.s no uh, we're planning on we're getting married in october and we're going to peru for our honeymoon and maybe bolivia and we want to go down to patagonia we're trying to figure out the whole quarantine thing yeah um, but there's I, I love america I, I don't have any plans Col- we just moved to colorado uh 13 months ago 14 months ago at christmas mm-hmm. colorado is a big state and it's you know it's full of of great places so we haven't we've only scratched the surface here so okay and we the one of the largest mountains in the world or in america is, is one of the most famous it's called pikes peak is literally i can see it out the window here that way and it's 14,100 feet which is uh you know 4,000 something meters so yeah that's decent yeah, yeah but it's it's so it's, there's so much to do here so okay what is on your maybe international hit list I know you said uh, Peru and obviously Bolivia because for your honeymoon is there anywhere that's kind of eating away at you that you've not been to Patagonia I've never been to Patagonia we're going to try to get down there we're trying to figure out the the um, COVID thing yeah um, hopefully now that it's going to get relaxed because the CDC is usually the leader in that category. And something just happened the other day that relaxed it with the airlines. Um, but if you can ask me, where do I want to go with Meg to go back to? It would be the Himalayas, Sri Lanka, which is in my top seven countries. Okay. Um, and I want to go back to Sikkim. So there's three places. Yeah. And I also want to take her to Indonesia. I've spent three months in Indonesia, mostly um, in the Gili Islands, yeah, which yeah. is south of ba- Bali. Gili Air and Gili Trangan and... Yeah, very good. Gilly Mano. Yeah. Gilly Air, Gilly Mano, Gilly Taronga. My favorite's Gilly Mano, but 
And then as far as the places I haven't been to, Patagonia, Bolivia, uh, I, you're going to go to Bhutan. I want to go to Bhutan. And then also I want to go, you know, timing's everything, but the only eight countries that I haven't been to in Europe are Russia, Belarus, Malta, uh, mm-hmm. and then Azerbaijan, Armenia, Moldova, and yeah. one other one. I can't remember, maybe one or two other ones. So the, I want to go a couple more of those places over there. Mm-hmm. Of those, the, the ones that interest me the most are Armenia and Azerbaijan there on the, the far eastern edge of the Europe. Yeah, maybe get to Armenia pretty quickly because I don't know what's going on over there, but I think Azerbaijan exactly. are flexing their muscles. So, yeah, I'm not sure it's crazy, how long yeah. that's going to last, right? Yeah, some of, so my, some of my passport stamps from when I was in Europe in college are no longer oh yeah no longer they never they don't stamp your passport in France anymore if you're coming from Germany or whatever oh no yeah right? no because huh. it's European Union it's it's yeah. free travel within well right. normally free travel for most right. people which has actually yeah. changed for us because we're out of the European Union now so I think I've not been back to UK since this happened really to travel in oh. Europe so I'm not sure what happens now at the border but you haven't been home since Brexit I have but not travelled within. Oh, okay. Europe sphere, right? I've just been in UK and out again. But I'm going. I'm going to Spain actually in June. I'm going to do the Camino, some of the Camino. Oh, cool! And I'm going to walk some of that. So yeah, I'm not sure what the. I think we just get a visa on arrival. I'm not really sure what the the rules are, but it's quite a weird thing because normally you just travel there with no rules. You just turn up and it's fine. You just go through the border, right? Right. Um, but now with Brexit, I'm not I sure. don't know. It's that's these are that's why it's like it's it's always an adventure. You don't know, and you know. Just gotta keep gotta keep going and making this stuff up as you go along. So yeah, that's the name of the game, right? Have you done that's the right, Camino? Yeah. Have you done the Camino? Much? I haven't done El Camino, Camino oh. but I have been to the, some of the cities that are up there. But mm-hmm. I, um, but I have not done the Camino. I want to do it. I know there's a long version and a short version, and of course, I always want to do the whole thing. So. Yeah, yeah. I've, within one small trail, which is the Finisterre Trail, which goes from Muxia um, down to Finisterre, which is a little town, and then obviously through to Santiago. Uh, okay parcella. but yes yeah, about 120k probably takes five or six days cool just due to, due to time otherwise yeah i'd love to do the whole thing from france right yeah and then but you stayed in the villages along the way or the there's places yeah. there's, comf- there's comfortable places to stop it's not like you're doing the yeah with a horseman and a cook and a, and a backpack or <laughs> yeah whatever. in mongolia getting friends with yeah you can have that. your you can have your pork, you can have your uh your beans every morning <laughs> yeah yeah might need it yeah <laughs> <Just> see <laughs> been a while but next is even more left field for this podcast is your um zen mountain retreat as a monk uh, why did you want to do this and where was this uh the, the i went to a zen monastery in southern california called uh zmc zen mountain center it's uh, also called yokoji y-o-k-o-j-i yokoji zen mountain center and uh, i went there for a year non-stop um and then i went back off and on for four more months along the way but I, I spent the year there as a monk. And the reason I went there was because a buddy of mine, Patrick Patterson, went to a silent seven-day retreat there while we were living in Phoenix, my buddy. He came back and he was completely on fire. And he said, I, I found what you've been looking for, Lex. And I said, I'm, I'm not looking for anything. And he starts telling me about it. And I'm like, well, how did I, I didn't even know this on the, this wasn't even on the available menu of options in life. It was like, I'd never even heard of this whole concept of seven-day silent meditation. He's like, I'm like, I'm in. So we went about a month later and did another seven day retreat. It was his second, my first. And then I started doing more and more of them over the years. And then after about two or three years, I said, all right, I'm tired of this one, one week at a time, three times a year. 
So the Zen master said, well, just move there. So I moved there and uh, every day was a minimum of three hours of meditation, sometimes six or nine and just, you know, quiet, absolutely gorgeous place, vegetarian meals and going to bed early, getting up early, living a clean life. And it was just great. So I learned really deeply who I didn't learn so much about who I was. I just let go of a lot of who I thought I was and who I was Mm -hmm. supposed to be. So I became much more authentic and more compassionate, more patient. And I also, my, my ability to focus and stay on something went through the roof. So I'm able to get a a bunch of shit done in a short period of time now that uh, I wasn't able to do before, you know, cause there's like, you know, multitasking is not my, my jam. Yeah. So I learned how to pay attention, pay real close attention, do a really good job of something and then move on and go kick some more butt somewhere else. So, (laughs) but it was, you know, it was, it was my home for a year and I, it's, it's still my home in my heart. It's one of these unbelievable places, uh, not just physically in the mountains, but a place where you unplug, you, I, I, I'll make it an I statement, but I would unplug, live simply, eat simply. And, um, just my body and my body, spirit, mind, everything was just on fire. So, and it, what is your day-to-day life there? Is that, is it purely just meditation? Is it like, no, no, no technology, no books, like how? No, it's, it wasn't one of those like uh, hardcore places where, okay. they, you know, there were, there were couples that were living there. There were married couples. There were, you know, you could have a girlfriend or boyfriend and you weren't allowed to do drugs, but on the weekend you could have a beer, but you just couldn't be seen having a beer, you know? So it wasn't completely strict, like, you know, like a monastery in traditional Japanese or something, mm-hmm. but the, you know, we were up every morning around five in bed every night around nine, there was no lights out because you know, that you could do what you wanted to, but if you get up at five o'clock and you do stuff all day by nine o'clock, you're pretty, you know, if you go to bed at nine o'clock and you get up at five, you get eight hours of sleep if you're lucky. So, mm. uh, but we would, you know, 30 minute uh, sitting meditation, seated meditations. It's called Zazen in the Japanese tradition, just sitting and you sit and you don't move and your, your body comes to stillness. And then eventually your mind comes to stillness. And when it does, it just lines up and everything goes like that. And so at the beginning, when a Zen student, including myself, you know, you sit down and you start like itching or moving or looking mm. around or whatever, and you're doing this. And then your mind is like, like a monkey going like <laughs> this. And eventually like magnets that repel each other. Eventually, if you flip them around, they kind of just sit there, you know? So for a while, the mind and body are fighting. And eventually when you learn how to sit, it just lines up like this. And there's absolute stillness in that. So once, if you, if you practice enough, then that stillness of body and mind can happen even when you're not sitting still, that you can you can still find this even when you're walking or working or whatever, as long as you're being, you know, there's a mindfulness that happens that when the mind just stops and just focuses, no matter what you're doing in your body. But with the training of the Zazen and the meditation, it makes it a lot easier. So by, by training your mind and training your body enough, you can find it along the way in um, everyday, everyday yeah. moments. Yeah. So what changed in your life after that? Do you think just <laughs> focused or? Yeah. Um, just the, the best thing is I, I learned how to be a nicer person. I, I okay. became more authentic. I became yeah. um, much less worried about other people's opinions, you know, hence this, you know, this hair right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it was just. Um, my beard I as became, well. Yeah. Yeah. 
I just became a better, I, I, I genuinely believe I became a nicer person, more patient, more compassionate, more authentic. So, I mean, and the, the whole thing about Buddhist and Zen, it's like people practice Buddhism and Zen to avoid suffering, avoid suffering or reduce suffering for myself and you. So it's, uh, you know, my suffering has gone down. Not that I had a whole lot of suffering, but I don't suffer. And I don't, my most important thing, if, the only time I'll have a bad day is if I cause suffering to anybody else. I generally try to, from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, if I cause anybody any pain or suffering, unless they're being a complete jerk and I need to, you know, put them in their place, but I'm here to help reduce my suffering and your suffering and everyone else's suffering I come across. So if I can be neutral or positive with everybody, I'm cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to add any more to anyone else's day. So in a bad way. Okay. That's pretty awesome. Cause I think my friend Scott, who I traveled in India and Nepal with, he went to those real strict ones, right? He done 10 days where he couldn't even like make eye contact with the master there and right. head down and absolute silence. You can only speak to your, peers like outside of the grounds and it's like real late at night um no books no technology no nothing right and uh, he said so many people just drop out because it's too hardcore yeah that's that's that, that's the downside so we if you get two grandmothers in uh or or buddhism then it's like hey whatever you know get up go get a cup of coffee and let me you know let you know just do whatever you gotta do and then you've got the other side the the grandfather's in which is like you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And then what happens is people want something in the middle, which is what I found, which is I want some rules. I want some uh, base, or, but I don't want you to be, you know, hitting me or telling me. Uh, and I want to be able to have, you know, I want to be able to talk to people. I want to mm-hmm. be able to have social. So give me the quiet and the beautiful place to practice and then give me some fun because, but I don't want it to be completely chaotic over here with grandma and I don't want it to be completely, you know, despotic with grandpa. I want something in the middle. So that's why this place, ZMC, works so well for me and others, because it it marries the two um, extremes. And it's right in the middle. And it's got rules. And if you mess with the rules, you're out. But, you know, no one gets kicked out because people, you have to do some stupid stuff to get kicked out. <laughs> yeah. And most yeah. people don't, most people that come for the grandmother component don't last. And the people that want the grandfather can kind of find a, a, a way to get kind of closer but if you're looking for the grandmother side it's or the ego stroking or the look at me it doesn't last you know the people that get, went there it, it's too much people get burned out and they look for something a little different so i this place was kind of the perfect spot for me so yeah scott i think completed his course i think he'd done 10 days but yeah even a 10-day course which is not even that long um, yeah, some people were dropping out on on his group within one day. Just couldn't even yeah, you can do anything for you can do anything for ten days. You know, you have yeah, you can get through anything for ten days as long as you're not you know in mortal danger or whatever. But you know, it's like I wouldn't want to do it for a longer period than that. So, but these days, like doing stuff for ten days, I I don't know, like the technology and the the addiction to that <laughs> is 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 tough, right? Some people just yeah. can't even concentrate for two minutes or even read right. a book. Right, I agree. But, you know, it makes it that much more valuable if you're able to do it. So if mm. you can do a seven-day retreat and get through, just you, you t- it, it's simple. You just tell everyone, your business and your people, hey, I'm going away. I'm not going to have access to my phone. I'm going to be fine. Mm. Here's, the, here's the number at the center that I'm going to be staying at. In the case of emergency, you can reach them. They'll reach me. But in the meantime, don't create an emergency. <laughs> um, right? So... This yeah. is only during an emergency and don't create an emergency. 
Yeah. Because so, I'm now I'm now thinking. Imagine if I went to your center in California or somewhere like that, just for a month. Like how much of an impact that would have on me? Because we're so ingrained with like the current lifestyle, right? The the phones, right. the the work, the constant entertainment screens. Like, I wonder what a break like that would would do in terms of a change, just in mentality and focus and kind of letting stuff go. Right? I, it does intrigue me. Oh, you have to have a look. Mm. Yeah, the, yeah, guy, yeah. the guy that runs the guy that runs DMC, he's a Brit. He's uh, okay. his name is Charles Fletcher, but he goes by Tension. Uh, T E N S H I N. Great guy. He's been there forever. Mm. But he was born and raised in I think Birmingham or something. I don't know. Yeah, Birmingham, England, not uh, yeah, Alabama. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll look into it. See what I yeah. see. What I think. Put it on your list. <laughs> Talking of uh, things that you are good at is books as well. So you've got a multiple selection of books that you talked about, but the one I've got here is Passport Forward, which is the most recent copy, right? Right. Um, what is this book like? What is this what we talked about today, just in more detail, or is it more a mix of life and travel? What is the premise of the book? It's um the, the name of the book is Passport Forward, Moving from Regrets and Routine to Freedom, Passion, and Adventure. And it's all around a lot of it's the, some of the crazy stories that I had while I was traveling that you know, like most people could never relate to. A couple chapters on Mongolia. And then, you know, some other like interesting stories about getting from point A to point B. But then there's also a lot about what I learned along the way, um, you know, how to be fiercely independent and figure things out. And just basically all the it, it's it's part lessons I've learned and insights I got without sounding pompous. Mm-hmm. And then also some of the crazy adventure stories I had. And then also, you know, there, I touch on there's a chapter specifically about living, at, living as a monk at ZMC and then also there's a chapter about um, America's Got Talent, but there's also the parts in between, which suck, which are coming home for three years and my dad almost dying and, you know, getting back into the routine and the the, 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 the standard lifestyle and can't wait to get back out. And I thought I was going to go home for a few months and it was three years, partly because wow. my dad almost died. Yeah. But so it's, it's a, it's a stories as well as things that happen along the way. So, and it, the original version, which was called the Expedition, which I have you know copies left of, mm. um, was more raw, more um, straight from my hip. And then I had somebody help me edit it. She did a great job, but it's it's a little more PG thirteen, <laughs> and um, uh, it took out some of my. If she didn't understand what some of my jokes or my nuances were, she wanted me to take them out. I'm like, well, if someone can get this nuance, then. I don't want to read in my book, but she said, now you got to take them out. So, <laughs> okay. But yeah, passport forward. It was a, a labor of love. It's, I don't know. You're, you're writing a book, but it's a pain in the ass. It's a huge undertaking. Oh, it's, huge. And then the good news is when you get done and you get through the finish line of writing the book and publishing it, you get to run another marathon called marketing and promotion. Oh yeah. 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 And yeah. that's, I mean, so you're, you're only halfway there. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about that with the podcast, right? This is only one part yeah. of it. Just the interview. Um, yeah, it doesn't tell the story before and after, really. Exactly. It's a lot of work, especially for one person. Um, so, exactly. And if you're trying to work at the same time as in a job and trying to earn money, it's just not a lot, not a lot of hours left in the day. No, definitely not. Where can you find your book? Where can we buy it? Is it Amazon again? Uh, yeah, it's on Amazon. And actually, the Audible version came out recently. I've got the audio book that people have been downloading, oh, yeah. which is Audible, pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah. Amazon, you know, in any, I think you can get it anywhere that you can get. You can order it anywhere. So, but Amazon, most people, that's what people go to. Brilliant. Okay.
if you're going away tomorrow and you've got your um, Spotify on the go or whatever listening device you have, what three bands or artists would you have for your journeys? Or forever, it would probably be, I need something mellow to chill out with. So I'd probably get, I'm a big fan of U2. I know that's forever. Okay. Uh, U2, and I've, I love the Beatles. Uh, you know, like if, if it's like that, that, that stuff's not going to get old. And then something that's really chill would be John Mayer. <laughs> oh, okay, John Mayer. I was talking to someone about him today, actually, randomly. Okay, and one film? Uh, my favorite film is of all times is The Razor's Edge, which was uh, starred Bill Murray. So okay. uh, let's, no one else has ever seen it, but it's my favorite movie, The Razor's Edge with Bill Murray. Okay, and the one TV series that you might have? Uh, I'm watch- Meg and I are watching uh, the, the newest version of uh, Better Call Saul just came out. So that's, oh, yeah. if, if I could keep Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul forever, I could watch those forever. So to put those two together. I've never seen them. There's a, there's oh, a well, not put that on your list. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got a rule. If it's if there's more than two series, um, I struggle with it. All right. Uh, that's that's good. Yeah. Okay. One book. Maybe it's a current book you're reading or maybe a classic. Wow. That's a good question. Uh, one book, 3,500 books over there. Uh, <laughs> wow. It's probably the only stuff I read is either meditation and Zen or making money or health. So okay. I would probably, oh, my favorite book of all times is called the T- the Zen Commandments. Oh, okay. The Zen Commandments. Nice title. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. So the Zen Commandments is my favorite book. Love that. Okay. And apart from this podcast, of course, which is one podcast that you listen to. So my favorite is Joe Rogan. Oh yeah, Joe Rogan. But yeah. uh, you know me and about half a billion other people. But uh, he's he's popular for a reason. So he is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And one piece of clothing that you'd have to take with you? Probably this shirt. I just got it a couple couple weeks ago. It's okay. my currently my favorite shirt. So yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> okay. Um, one snack from home? Dried mango, unsulfured, unsweetened. Okay. And one must-have item that you've got to have in your backpack? I've got it right here. This Petzl headlamp. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's, that, that, that one hasn't been all over the world with me, but the one down in my junk drawer has been to like 60 countries and I still use it when I take the dog out at night. Nice. That's all headlamps. I, I know I'm not going to make any money on it, but they're badass. <laughs> never know. Never know. Okay. And a few more travel questions. Hey, yeah. Just a quick one before we carry on with the travel questions. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with Public where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as T-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast, and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcast, and other stuff. Thank you. This week's quickfire travel questions are sponsored by the Super Cool Radio Podcast. I do love supporting local and indie podcasts. You should check them out. And here's a little trailer for you to entice you in. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I am Matthew Thomas, the spirit of Super Cool Radio. And if you're looking for a great podcast that features the best independent and up-and-coming bands and artists, then check out my podcast, Super Cool Radio. Each week, I deliver fun interviews, and every Friday, I spin some killer music. 
Check out Super Cool Radio on YouTube, Rumble, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or the streaming platform of your choice. It's travel question time. Favorite beach? Uh, Gilimana. Okay. And maybe your top three favorite countries? Uh, uh, my second favorite beach is Boracay in the Philippines. Oh, Boracay. Yeah, yeah. Boracay, yeah. And then um, my top three countries are... Uh, Number one is Laos. Number two is India. Number three is Indonesia. Um, if you could live in a country that you've not lived in before, where would you live? If, like for a while or forever? Or do you know yeah, that? I normally say like a year. Argentina. Ah, nice. What's your favorite cuisine? World cuisine that you've you tasted? By far, sushi. Oh, you like sushi? I don't like sushi. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah well, you're a vegetarian. You're missing out. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I went to J- Japan and really struggled with the food there. It's a, a struggle <laughs> for me. Yeah, yeah. Unreal. And if I could... And if, I, if they ran out of sushi, I'd eat uh, Italian. I love pasta and meatballs and stuff. Italian like is, meatballs, is a very popular answer. Actually, no. I, I should first is sushi, then Indian, then Italian. Okay. Do you drink coffee? I do. About 1,000 gallons a day. Great. This is great for you then. Two-prong question. You choose one city in the world to drink coffee for an afternoon and watch the world go by. What city is that? And number two, what is your country's favorite coffee? Uh, both, both cities would be... Uh, both answers are Istanbul, uh, Turkey. Ah, Turkish coffee. Uh, yeah. It's crazy. Turkish coffee with a little bit of sugar to it because it's really strong. A little little sugar and a little cream, but then it's not really coffee. But you know, I'm kind of a wimp. So, <laughs> okay, a few more questions. Uh, your favorite landmark, whether it's human or natural, sorry. Yeah, uh, landmark would probably be Machu Picchu. Yeah, it's unreal. Uh, crazy unreal. Okay, and one last question is. If you had to convince people why they should go on that big trip, maybe a 16-month trip like you did twice, and they're kind of on the edge of why to go or not, or whether to quit that job, like what is the few sentences of wisdom for someone to go? So uh, I have a chapter in my book called What's the Worst That Can Happen? Love that. And, yeah. Uh, a lot of people do it based out of fear, and they say they, they don't want to do something because they're afraid or they've heard something on the news or someone told them or whatever. It's like, so what's the worst that can happen? And so once you name that fear – um and do it anyway feel the fear and do it anyway so if, if we get more than one shot at this game then i'll be happy but you know like monopoly you can be the wheelbarrow of this game but you can't be the wheelbarrow on the car or the hat you get to pick whether you which one you're gonna be so right now i'm the wheelbarrow and i'm gonna be the best wheelbarrow ever so you know i don't want to die with any regrets or shoulda woulda coulda so if anybody's on the fence it's like what's the worst that can happen you get you know yeah. push the wheelbarrow push the car and just enjoy it because you, you this might be your only shot so what's the worst that can happen? What is the worst plan? I love that. So I'm going to finish the podcast on what is the worst that can happen. So Lex, thanks for making time to come on the podcast. It's been a great chat. Really good fun. I've learned a lot. And thanks for giving me your time. Yeah, James, thank you very much for having me on the show. And I appreciate it. And uh, you and I will talk more here in a little bit. And I'll, I'll give you some tidbits on uh, on uh, Jardin de Antioquia. Yeah, can't wait to hear them. Thank you, Lex. Thank All you. right, thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to my Winging It Travel podcast episode today. You can find me on Instagram at James Hammond Travel or Winging It Travel podcast. You can search for both. I release weekly clips of this podcast episode as well as photos from the last eight to ten years of my travels. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website jameshammond.org, there's content about myself, my travels 
and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling, and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.